Yes. Uh-oh. There's a phone. Somebody is somebody calling the Abraham's Wallet podcast? <laughs> he has a parenting issue. He's got a child that's starting a lawn mowing business and wondering if sharpening the blade and putting in new spark plugs for the upcoming summer season is a good move. Bill, I hear your call. Go ahead and spend that money. Little Jimmy's going to benefit from it. He'll make more money. Next call. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's Wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. You may you may notice if you're listening at home, you won't notice because you're listening. But if you're on a YouTube, you, you might notice that I am once again wearing a quarter zip this week. Well, it doesn't look nearly as a country club as the white one. That's fair, because this one was $9.99. It's a Kirkland brand quarter zip. I ah. really like it, but and it's it's not white. So I thought about that when I was getting dressed for podcasting today. As Stephen said, you look a bit like a pretentious beehole when you wear waspy. a white. A little a white. East Coast waspy. Okay. Um, um so what you're giving people a financial tip there, what you're telling them is if you have a Costco membership, which which about a third of America does, then uh, go get yourself uh, 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 some fashion from Costco and I save mean, money on a great piece of uh, clothing. I'm also going to say, I don't know if I can get them into the screen, but yeah, you're going to try. He's trying to show us his shoes. These, these No, the joggers I'm wearing, these pants. Oh, uh, by far my favorite joggers, also less than $15 at Costco. Oh, well, now you've turned my smile into a frown because you've touched on you've touched on something that I strongly believe in, which is that a grown man should never wear warm-ups, joggers, or yoga pants as his day wear. I'm, I'm okay with you wearing them directly to the gym, wearing them directly home, and then taking them off so that you can dress like an adult. That that's just a hot take I'm throwing in, and don't get me started on what people wear to uh, airports. That's a that's another that's another episode. Well, we're, I just want to explain that I'm dressed for comfort as well, and I kind of look like a slob. But if you're looking, what you'll see is that I'm supporting a team that is still in the uh, NCAA tournament as we record this. We're in the yeah. throes of the first round, and. Your alma mater. Uh, How about those highly, Princeton Tigers? Highly overwhelmed their expectations. My alma mater highly tripped over themselves and fell into the mud regarding their expectations. So I'm forced to look around my closet and see who else I can support. And I do have UCLA going to the Final Four. I'm sure that will seem like folly when this is actually aired, but that's that's well, that's my pick. I have I have Northwestern beating UCLA, which is a super unpopular take, but we'll see. Yeah. Well, you'll get bonus um, points in your bracket if you pick that upset. That's true. Um, so, yeah, I, I just want to say before we completely move on, I'm 100% with you on your airport clothing take. I do my best to always have on a blazer when I'm flying on a plane. Um, I like dressing up for travel. 
Yes. Uh-oh. There's a phone. Somebody Is somebody calling the Abraham's Wallet podcast? <laughs> Someone is calling the Abe's Wallet hotline. We have a caller on line three. It's Steve, it's Bill from Chicago. He has a parenting issue. He's got a child that's starting a lawn mowing business and wondering if sharpening the blade and putting in new spark plugs for the upcoming summer season is a good move. Bill, I hear your call. Go ahead and spend that money. Little Jimmy's going to benefit from it. He'll make more money. Next call. Is this Des Moines? <laughs> oh, so joggers, I don't think those are exclusively gym wear. Uh, would I would I wear a pair of workout shorts to the Abraham's Wallet podcast? No, I would not. Uh, but if it's appropriate uh, on the PGA Tour as attire, I think it's appropriate here on the podcast. I feel that the casualization of America is part of the coarsening of our culture. And I will, I, I will sense that you're wearing comfort wear on your lower half for the rest of this recording, even though I can't see it. Okay. Well, it could be worse. That could be even more comfortable. <laughs> it could be worse. Yeah, it could be uh, worse than comfort. So uh, here's the thing, uh, Mark. As of this recording, there are lots of hot news items floating about. And I think that, uh, well, I know if uh, social media is any indication that people aren't just sort of a little curious at the financial goings on, but people are losing their cotton picking minds and they are saying that 2008 is upon us again and the economy is falling apart and all of every bank from Wells Fargo to Chase to my local Fifth Third Bank is going to about to go down the tubes, and we must all put our money either under the mattress or in the e- equally uh, criticized uh, crypto world. We went and in a matter of about two weeks, we went from crypto is the dumbest play that you can do to crypto is the only safe place for your money. And I find the whole conversation astounding. So what we need here on Abraham's wallet, we need some godly financially savvy family leader to set us straight and help us interpret the wild goings on in the financial news world. Can you help us with that? What it seems like is happening right now is that there's some legitimate bad stuff going on. There was mismanagement uh, at a couple banks and there was some plain old risk taking that didn't pay off. That's that's business and capitalism is sometimes people take risks and then get bit in the behind. Uh, but w- w- that that what happened there, the news cycle jumped on it and said, we see an opportunity to induce a whole lot of clicks. And they said, I bet if we take what happened to Silicon Valley Bank, we can use it and um, convince average Joe American that his deposits at Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Chase, wherever, are potentially going to just vanish too. And that the whole system's going down and they should take all their money out. And I can't tell you how many people have asked me about buying physical gold and silver or crypto yeah. and things like that this week. So there's there's a narrative, and I might be foreshadowing my opinion of that narrative with my intro there, but it's not based in fact. It's based in 
it doesn't really sell news articles for us to talk about the danger of some obscure banks that's exclusively loaned to VC-backed tech startups. But what if we could talk about danger to the banks that everybody in America uses for their money? That yeah. would that would probably get us some clicks. Um, so I wanted to talk about it a little bit and uh, maybe stem the tide of some of the panic that we see out there in the in the yeah that kind of makes me think what is a grabby headline we can put for this episode it should be uh is is bank of america going to default how about that does the bible predict that chase bank is the antichrist (laughs) there you go we just need to make okay. sure we don't get sued because we don't have enough money to get sued here at the Abraham's Wall. Well, I think we can ask an open question like that and uh, and and deceptively pull in clicks, and then we can say the answer was no. Yeah. Anyhow, anyhow, here here here's my opener because I'll uh, we'll t- talk about hysteria here. Uh, here's my Bible passage. Uh, you've heard of the Proverbs? Yes. Okay. So we love the Proverbs here at Abe's Wallet uh, f- because uh, Proverbs gives us so many pithy sayings about the wise, who we want to be, the wealthy, who we want to be. Um, it talks to us about the sluggard that we don't want to be. It talks to us about um, the... Uh, What's the name of that guy who, uh, the mocker who we don't want to be. And, uh, these are recurring characters. So, uh, if you just want, if you just want to, uh, blow your family's mind around the kitchen table, when you read the Bible at dinner tonight, uh, pull out, uh, Proverbs 26 and just read one or two verses and you can close the Bible and go, what do we think? What does that mean? Uh, because Proverbs 26 is completely chock full of these adages that talk about the lazy, um, the cruel, the wealthy. And so I'm going to read you two verses from Proverbs 26. One is verse 13. This is a favorite of our, uh, of our good friend, Mark Douglas. Now, and you're asking about hysteria. This is what came to mind. Listen to how it sets it up. It's a lazy man who says, I'm going to back up from the mic so I can give this. When the Bible gives exclamation points, I like to read it with exclamation points. We've done episodes on that. Okay. Here's what the lazy man says. There's a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the streets. And then it t- the very next verse tells us that like a door on its hinges, he just turns over in his bed. As he declares these hyper scary uh, declarations, oh, panic, hysteria. And then a few verses later, in verse 16, it says, The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. And it, it, it's the opposite of what we have talked about having people that you trust to give you counsel. And then having the humility to say, okay, they, they know better than I do. And, and it's all right. They, they say it's all right. Dad says it's all right. This is one of the great skills of a woman is the ability to kind of go, I have these concerns. I've voiced that to my husband. He says 
XYZ. I'm trusting that he has this in hand and I want to have the skill of trust so that I could sleep like Jesus at the bottom of the boat, even while there's a storm outside because he has trust. And so we want to be the same way. We don't want to be these panic inducers who hear panicky words, repeat panicky words to others and then do nothing about it. Um, so that's, yeah. that, that's my lead off. That's good. I, I just read a book that one of our listeners recommended to me. I don't think I've talked about it on here, but it was called mm. Matterhorn. And it was a novel about Vietnam. Um, Matterhorn. One of the better, it, it's like a top 20 book for me. At this, It was really, wow. really good. It Very really shot long. up the charts for you. It was really good. But it's the reason it was so good is because it depicted the somehow the author just really captured what it would be like to be in some of these gunfights where you're not even sure who the good guys are and you're not even really mm-hmm. sure if you're doing something good but you're just trying to stay alive and every 10 seconds you think maybe i should just run away into the jungle and try to get out of this thing um some of the stuff that was going on in vietnam the thing that brings it to mind is that in the book some people die because they get into a, a sticky situation and panic and the the kind of coolest cats in the whole book are these veteran army guys who when there's a when there's a firefight erupting and things start going bad and worse and worse they sort of shockingly are able to just continue whispering into the radio like all right this this just happened that's worse than we thought it was going to be move over here now go here and mm. There, that's what separated the ones who were still alive from the ones who weren't. And the guy who wrote the book spent years and years fighting in Vietnam. So it's all based in kind of his experience. Um, but, and was he one of the guys that lived or, or did he die in all of the? All right. Well, he, I, I grant you your, your hilarious interjection there. Okay. All right. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with it, Stephen. Okay. Sorry. Uh, Sometimes uh, all you can do is stare at ridiculousness just stare at it the blank stare doesn't play as well on audio format true once we move all these jokers to youtube i can make more visual uh yeah so what my goal is is to to serve maybe for some of you as the the grizzled veteran who's been through a few financial crises in his lifetime who can say because the, the goal is not to just go, everything's going to be fine. You know, if there's really a lion in the streets, you don't you don't run outside and go, we're not worried about lions because we trust in the Lord. Uh, you don't do that. Um, but you also want somebody who's going to say, okay, these are the real dangers and these things are not are not something to, to get panicked about. So right. that's my goal. And I thought it would just make sense to give a quick explanation of kind of the Silicon Valley bank, uh, the last really week of financial news. Um, because I haven't heard many people describe what happened in a way that I think was, uh, accurate, uh, and certainly not helpful to, to the average folk. Sound good? Yeah, we'll do it. Okay. You say you will do it. I'll do it. I'll do it, Steven. You 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 want me to do it? I'm going to do it. I I think provoked you. The headline was that Silicon Valley Bank, the 16th largest bank in the country in terms of assets, was closed down by California regulators. It's located 
surprisingly, in Silicon Valley, uh, in California. Uh, and it was placed under the receivership of the FDIC. Do, do you know what the FDIC is, Steve? I've had to at some point in my life. I, I wasn't prepared for the quiz. It's yeah, you have taken federal, a test. Federal district in court. That That's a good guess, but it's not very close to the right answer. Uh, okay. So the FDIC is the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, and their yeah. job their job is to be testing banks all the time to say, does this bank have enough capital on hand that they can continue to operate responsibly? Um, because I, I don't know, this isn't the, the olden days of It's a Wonderful Life, where if everybody shows up at the bank at the same time, they've got your, your dollars in their safe and they can just yeah. go take them out and hand them to you. Uh, most banks hold a very thin slice of the capital that they have on deposit on the books. Uh, the idea being, you know, they can always raise more uh, by selling some of the assets that they've got on their books. But um, yeah, it, almost no bank, I'll take that back, no bank could withstand the event of all of their depositors showing up on the same day and saying, give us, give us all our money back out of the bank. Right. The FDIC's job is to make sure, though, that they're operating responsibly, they're taking the right amount of risk, um, and that they have sufficient capital for what the FDIC um, and really the regulators think they are going to have. The FDIC also is responsible for insuring deposits. I think we've talked about this in, in the Abraham's Wallet podcast, but um, if you deposit money at just a regular old FDIC insured bank, let's say you walk over to Chase Bank, and you put in $10,000 into a savings account. That is an FDIC insured account. And if that bank goes bust, the FDIC will pay you back uh, your money. They will, in, they're insuring your deposits. So they will give you back your $10,000 if that bank fails. That's nice. You get that amount of insurance up to $250,000 for an individual account or up to $500,000 for a joint account. So if you open an account with your spouse, um, you would get double the FDIC insurance on that account. Now, what happened uh, last week is that the regulators looked at Silicon Valley Bank and they said, we think that you guys do not actually have sufficient capital on hand and we're going to shut this down before there's a, a full run on the bank and everything crashes. Um, now, the, the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank had done something a little bit chuckle-headed the previous week where he was on a uh, conference call and was asked about the bank's liquidity position. And he said, well, yeah, I mean, we're fine as long as not everybody tries to take out all their money at once. Um, and that is true of every bank, like I just said. But it wasn't the best thing to say when you're on a call with a bunch of equity analysts who are thinking about your, your bank. And what it did is it actually started triggering a run on the bank. People started showing up and taking out their money. Um, normally what a bank would do is they would sell some of their assets to raise more money when this happened. So banks have bonds, they have loans to companies, and these are the assets they've got on their books. But because interest rates have gone up so quickly in the past a uh, few months, the bonds that maybe were paying what was a market rate of return six months ago or 12 months ago, were now paying way less than they than you could get if you just went out and bought a new bond. So selling those bonds was very hard. You had to sell them for a lot less than you bought them for. 
Um, and this put the bank in a situation where they realized we're not going to be able to get ourselves out of the hole that we're in here if people keep pulling money out. And that's how they ended up where they were. And really some version of that is what happened to the other banks that went under. There were a few other smaller banks that also were closed up in about a four-day period. The place where I don't think that the story is fully getting out is Silicon Valley Bank, like I said, they mostly fund VC-backed tech startups. So venture capital funded. And if you've listened to this podcast long, you've heard us talk about thinking like a venture capitalist if you're going to invest in someone's business. Mm-hmm. And I bet that a lot of you listeners could could repeat my mantra here, which is, this is the pinnacle of risk to invest in these types of businesses. Um, Their and business is to risk money. That's the business. Right. So much so that a venture capital firm thinks about risk in the sense of, we, if we have, let's say, $100 million to invest, and we're going to put it in 10 different companies, $10 million each, we're going to expect to lose all $10 million in seven out of those 10 investments. Two of them, we think we're going to get our $10 million back. And one of them, we're going to hit a home run and make $300 million, And that's how we make money. Um, so these are really risky ventures. Uh, the other banks that went under were funding largely crypto firms. Not They weren't necessarily directly investing in crypto, but they were investing in companies that did crypto lending and all sorts of things in the crypto space. And we've talked a little bit about that, but that is also a highly volatile market full of risk and companies popping up and going bust all the time. So my point is these banks that failed were very specifically involved in a very risky slice of the overall lending market. And I think that is getting left out of the news when people wonder, man, are all the banks in the United States unsafe? Um, People are thinking that my my savings account money that's at that I where I bank at the local grocery store is the same thing as this this uh, VC bank in Silicon Valley. Right. And the the truth is there was there has been some contagion to other small banks because I would say largely because of the narrative. Uh, I've gotten right. client calls all week from people saying, hey, should I pull all my money out of the local uh, community bank and put it into a big bank? And the truth is, just like with Silicon Valley Bank, um, the local community bank's not investing in risky assets, so they'll probably have an easier time raising money if they had to, to cover a bunch of people pulling their money out. But they can't handle it if everybody withdraws their money. Sure. Um, So this is not me telling you put your money in X, Y, or Z bank, but it is saying, number one, if you've got $500,000 or less in a bank, you're probably covered by FDIC insurance and you don't need to worry. Um, In the case of Silicon Valley Bank, the FDIC only was on the hook for 250 or 500 of everybody's deposits. What they did instead, and this is going to have ramifications, is they went in and said, we're actually covering all of it. So anybody who had money at Silicon Valley Bank, we are going to cover. I talked to somebody, there's a lot of tech startups in Utah. And I talked to somebody who said, we had finished raising a $4 million venture capital round a week before this happened. And we took our $4 million check and we deposited it 
at Silicon Valley Bank. And then we found out the money is gone uh, at the end of the week. And so they would have been on the hook. Uh, they would have lost all but 250000 of that $4 million. Uh, instead, the FDIC came in and said on Monday morning, first thing, we're putting, we're, we're backstopping all of it. So you can pull it all out right now if you like. Um, so nobody ended up losing. The, the long-term consequence of that move is well, that banking is going to... So I actually think that the government's going to make money on this. Uh, the government has stepped in and backstopped banks where they didn't have to a few times. And this is a place where maybe, Stephen, I'm going to not sound like my usual conservative self. But in the case of the mortgage crisis the government stepped in and directly backstopped things that they didn't have to. And there was a lot of people saying, no, let them fail. Well, the government ended up making hundreds of billions of dollars on the loans that they, they made to, to keep banks afloat during that time. They earned money because the truth was the assets that people were questioning and we think maybe all these mortgages are going to default and go bad. They weren't actually that bad. Um, and so by making the loans at a reasonable rate of interest, the government made a bunch of money there. I think the same thing will happen with the funds that they're using to keep smaller banks from uh, going bust. Um, they'll probably end up making quite a bit of money on that. However, the FDIC charges banks an insurance premium to offer that deposit insurance. And almost for sure, that is going to go up. So the days of four and a half percent interest on a savings account, those might be that, that margin might be getting cut pretty substantially in the future. Uh, we might see fees return to, you know, I've always said, don't ever pay for a checking account. Why would you in the modern era? I don't know, but there's a possibility that if, if FDIC premiums go way up, we're going to start to have to pay for our checking accounts again. So there will be some consequences of this. The question is how big um, and how will we feel them? All right, let's, let's get back to the news in one second, but let's take a little detour based on what you just said about um, being paid for uh, uh, a savings account somewhere. I'm thinking of, uh, we've had conversations about our business, uh, the savings that we use to operate our business. Recently, we've also had conversations about my mother's finances. And would you kind of tell the people uh, why it might not be smart to just have a, a stockpile of cash sitting around and what they could also be doing with that stockpile of cash? Sure. So right now, we've you know another big news headline is inflation inflation is thankfully coming down uh right now but it's still high we're at probably three times what what we think a healthy long-term rate of inflation is we're about six percent annual inflation right now and that means if you have a hundred bucks and you just leave it under your mattress it's going to buy you $96 worth of stuff a year from now. If inflation stays, no, it's going to buy you $94. $94 worth of stuff uh, a year from now if uh, everything is held equal uh, with inflation where it is right now. So you're just getting inflated away if you just sit on cash and get a zero rate of return. Um, most big banks, so if you go to your Wells Fargo and put it in a savings account, 
they pay you effectively zero interest. They'll say there's interest on the account. It's like 0.01% interest on a savings account. At that point, all you're getting out of that savings account is, I guess, security um, and convenience of being able to move it to other accounts easily, things like that. Um, but you can put your your cash somewhere where it will actually make a fairly healthy rate of return right now. This is one of the benefits of interest rates being as high as they are. Um, we we recommend a, a bank called Flourish to a lot of people right now where they can put their their money and get four and a quarter percent. And wow. well, what they're doing is actually looking for banks, multiple banks with the best interest rates. Um, so banks will raise interest rates on their savings to try to attract deposits when they need to go out and get some cash. And Flourish spreads your money out across multiple banks. So it was actually a tool invented for people who need to have more cash on hand. And they just sent me an email today saying, we now can can offer FDIC insurance up to $3 million of deposits because they're just going to spread it out to a bunch of different banks and get the 250 here and there and so on. So that that is a tool that not only earns you some return on your cash, but also gets you the benefit of more of that FDIC insurance protection. Um, but there's, there's options even above that, uh, which would be using money market accounts. Um, and so if you're willing to take a little bit of risk, meaning it could, in, there are scenarios in which this account could lose some value, but a money market is going to invest in really short term uh, um, securities. So like 90 day loans that banks and corporations are making to each other to just supply liquidity for ongoing business operations. Uh, people will invest in those loans and we, we use money market accounts right now. They're making almost 5% uh, rates of return. Uh, the, the negative of there is those, those loans can, can go up and down in value like bonds, but they're so short term that they aren't as risky as say a 30 year bond, which can go way up and down in value as interest rates change. That's sweet. So because of the way the market works right now, we, we always recommend that people have, uh, an emergency, uh, fund that they can go to if there's an accident, there's an emergency of some kind, you can't work in the short term. We always recommend that people build up a short term stash, an emergency fund. And it just by the virtue of the way the market looks right now, we don't think that should be sitting in your closet and in, in banded hundreds. We think that that money should be earning money for you out there. So I just throw that in to people because you mentioned right. that the, the earnings might not be there six months from now. They, they might be paying 2% and there'll come some, there'll come a point, like you said, when it's 0.01% and it's like, what, what's the point of even doing this for pennies? Um, but when it's around 5%, uh, yeah, that's worth, that's worth moving your money around for. And I've talked to people who are really risk averse and, they, we've gone through creating a financial plan for them. And they're like, I just, I'm not trying to make a ton of money. I just want a decent rate of return. And they're going, you know, if I can get four and a half percent with no risk, maybe can, can I just put all my money there? And that's where I point you back to why inflation and the rate of return on cash are very important to consider together. Because mm -hmm. if your inflation is 6%, 
and your rate of return on cash is four and a half, you're actually losing one and a half percent. Right. Um, so there's there's still a reason why we use stocks and bonds, even in yeah. markets like this one that are crazy and stock market is going up and down every day by a whole lot. Uh, it, we can't just go and say, we'll put it all in cash because if inflation drops down to 2%, like we're targeting, and I think we will get there at some point, um, 4.5% is not going to exist any longer on cash. So that's, right. that's why we use longer term instruments for longer term goals. The the thing we're talking about is if you're going to have some cash, and we think you should, keep it somewhere where it's losing the the minimum compared to inflation over time. That's great. So uh, I think we we kind of understand the the Silicon Valley Bank uh, is a very uh, unique bird, and it really doesn't uh, have an impact on the way that most of our banks work, except that, as you said, if people are into the hysteria spreading business, then perception becomes reality as far as markets go. And so if, if everybody gets worried about their bank situation and there turns into a national run on banks, there truly is a problem. But it's not because of the financial reality. It's because of everybody's emotional state. So I think we understand that. Um, would you just, we'll, we'll take one more little plunge into technical nerd world and say, what is the interaction between the Silicon Valley VC crypto world of turmoil there and what the Fed has been doing? Yeah. So the, the Fed is still what is driving stock prices right now. So when this is all tied back to inflation. Inflation is really high. We've talked about this in the past. The Fed is trying to bring down inflation. And the way they can do that is by raising interest rates. And that has all sorts of trickle down effects. And frankly, what we're seeing with Silicon Valley Bank or some of the smaller community banks and stuff, that is one of the intended trickle-down effects. Now, these banks could have certainly been operated better and not gotten themselves into this position. But what the Fed is doing is saying, let's raise interest rates and um, we're going to make it harder to borrow money, including for some of these these startup companies or for other risky ventures. And we're going to take money out of the economy so that there's just not as much cash floating around out there and prices eventually come down. You know, people... People will lose jobs and things like that, and prices will come down. Companies won't be able to offer that kid out of college $200,000 to write code for them anymore. Um, and so the Fed is really what's driving the volatility in stock markets. Because when people look at a company and say, how much is this company worth? What they're really saying is, how much money is this company going to make from now until they don't exist anymore? And how do I value that? And that's what the stock price is. And if money becomes more expensive and that company is going to have to spend more money to, to borrow the funds it needs to operate, then it's going to make less profit. And so when you see the last week it happened, the Fed came out and said, actually, we're going to continue raising interest rates at a higher pace than we kind of intimated that we would at our last speech. Well, the stock market went into the pooper. Um, but... Then something happens and there's a report that comes out that says, hey, jobs are not growing as fast as we wanted. 
And you would think that'd be like, well, the economy stinks, but the stock market goes up. And the reason is people go, ah, if this is happening, then it means the Fed won't have to raise rates as much as we thought. Um, mm. And so really, it's there's all this news about the economy and, and all that. And it's hard to interpret because frankly, like we're at a super high employment rate and there's a lot of good signs in the economy right now, but you hear a lot of panic uh, about the economy. Um, but in terms of what's driving the stock market, it's all about the Fed right now. Okay. So that being the case, uh, what should we watch for uh, coming in in news? What would be a signal to us that uh, things are getting significantly better or, uh-oh, that's an alarm bell? Yeah. And I have so to tune I, back into Abe's wallet ASAP to find out what's happening. I'm always paying attention to the economic data releases. There's just most days there's one or two data points that that come out, whether it's jobs reports or inflation reports, things like that. I think those are interesting as a gauge. Um, home starts, like what's happening in the home building market, uh, all of that jazz. Do we have another caller trying to dial in right now? We do. It's I think it's Lincoln, Nebraska. We've got a, a okay. very we'll interesting ca uh, caller. He is always bothering us. It's always about washing machine sales. And I'm like, okay. that's too local. We don't deal with that kind of stuff. So no, I'm going to let that ring. Sorry. Back to national news, though. Uh, I think that the important thing is not so much. I, it's fine to, to monitor some of those data points. If you think about when are the two best period, three-year periods of returns in the stock market in the last 100 years in the United States, um, would you hazard a guess as to when those periods were, Stephen? <laughs> Just give me like a general... What would your what would your hot take be if if you Okay, I'm going to I know the answer to this question, so I'm going to pretend oh, okay. like I'm the man on the street. I would say the roaring 20s when everything's going the best and everybody's making money or perhaps 1983 when people are banging and IBM's crushing and everybody's wearing gel in their hair and everything's going great. Is that right? Okay. The number one best 3-year period of returns in the U.S. stock market was during the flippin' Great Depression. And the number two best period of stock returns in the United States included the 2008 financial crisis. Um, well, that just doesn't make any sense. And my point by bringing that up is to say, we don't know when stocks and markets are going up and down, uh, but it t they tend to look way, way out further than whatever the CNN news anchors are looking ah. at. Um, by the time it hits your news screen, it's already priced in to the market. So last week I got a lot of concerned calls about, hey, Mark, uh, should we be taking our money out of the market? Because it sounds like things are getting kind of bad. And the answer is no. Those Every single thing that might have even come across your, your computer screen or into your brain about how the economy is doing and how markets are doing, that was priced into the stock market a long time before you found out about it. Um, and so what we do is we say, best not guess and try to time things. Best just stay the course, invest in the right assets for the long term. And when we make changes, we make them slowly and with great care. So for example, I'm making some changes to portfolios right now because I am increasingly convinced that China is facing a, a pretty big demographic 
problem. Uh, you've heard about their one child policy. They have a huge have. productivity problem that they're going to be facing in the next 50 years. Um, so we're not reacting and saying, well, sell China, all this. No, but we are saying, let's gradually turn down the amount of Chinese companies that are in the investment portfolios that we manage. Um, and I think that that is the type of move that's reasonable and, and measured and considered, but it's totally different than, whoa, there's a headline. I'm going to sell all this and sit on the sidelines and then hope that I can guess the right moment to jump back in so I catch the upswing before it happens. That's great. So in summary, it kind of brings us back to the first thing that we said, which is uh, the summary is when the next alarming news thing happens, uh, whether it's a big company going down or it's some financial news, oh, the prices are going up or down or the now interest rates are doing this or mortgages are doing this. And this we should just take a deep breath and go, that doesn't change my long-term plans for what I'm doing with my savings money, my investment money. And for those of us who know, know history and understand how the markets work, we could might think to ourselves, this might be an opportunity. So we're, let's just wait and, and consider what, what, where should we be moving money? Not like our hair's on fire, but like somebody who, as we said, somebody who uh, councils with seven men, as opposed to somebody who runs out into the street screaming, there is a lion on the loose and we're all going to die. Yeah. And again, if, if you could just watch every bit of financial news, probably every bit of news too, uh, <laughs> in general, but if you could keep every bit of financial news under the lens of they are trying to make me anxious because that is the best way to make sure I read a lot more news. That's it. Um, it would really, I think, make your life better if you kept that lens on when you were listening to talking heads on, I don't know. The only time I see TV news these days is if I'm on the treadmill at the gym. But um, That's right. Yeah. Uh, the, it's just, it's kind of hilarious once you start viewing things through that lens. You'll go, oh, I see exactly what they're doing here. Right. Instead, you should listen to talking heads on Spotify. And then that's, that's a much safer move. You can, is this the right time to announce that Spotify has acquired the Abraham's Lot podcast for $25 million? <laughs> yeah, it is. Do you, think that, do you think that could happen before we end up publishing this episode? Or are you going to have to cut this out? No, I, I, I think we better go ahead and not say that because I, I, th I don't think that's going to happen um, okay. but well, before this is published. I'm more of a name it and claim it kind of guy. But oh, I see. I'm All right. That's your religious tradition. Okay. Well, I'll let you keep that for now. And uh, we thank you for uh, giving us your insights and letting us uh, enjoy the benefits of your geeky financial brain. And uh, we'll check in next time. That's financial news. Thank you, Mark. Hey, I want to throw a little spotlight on Cleaner Soaps and Sundries. They're a men's personal care brand run by a great guy, CT, who makes cleaner products and does a ton of good for vets along the way. I had tacos with this special ops dude turned entrepreneur in Texas and knew right away this brand is something our listeners are going to love to support. I think you're going to dig the soaps and deodorants and pomades and beard oils, all made from totally natural based ingredients. I use them and I love them. So find all their great stuff at klenr.com. That's cleaner.com. 
And if you type in AW, you'll get an automatic 10% discount on whatever you find. So check them out.